0: Well, if you've been um, in church over recent weeks, um, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians and we're going to be carrying on within Ephesians today. And in the early part of Ephesians, there are these great prayers that Paul prays that the church may know God better. And really what we get to in chapter four is sort of an outworking of the previous chapters. There is an awful lot in chapter four. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to try and cover it all today. So we're going to do the first section up to verse 16 today, and then in small groups, you're going to pick up on the rest of the chapter in the week. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, I think Chris will be there with his Good News Bible with the pictures in it, probably. But the rest of us will be on page 1110 in the church Bibles, and I'm going to read Ephesians 4 from verse 1 down to verse 16. one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave his gifts to people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Let's just pray again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that in these words, we just find this vision of the unity of the people of God around your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that this will be our reality as a church. That this will be our reality, both on an individual basis, but also as a family basis. So just help us, we pray, as we look through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. I had great fun on Tuesday afternoon this week. Um, under the, the sound advice of the property team, I was instructed to demolish the shed in the man's garden. Does anyone like demolishing things? Yeah, for me, it's a great job, because you get that you know, you're there with your lump hammer, you're smashing this thing to bits, you then have a great big bonfire burning it up, and then at the end of it, you can see that you've done something because there's a patch of ground. <laughs> now, I'm good at destructive stuff, because it doesn't require much skill. But I've been watching Steve put a gate on, and that requires skill. If I was to try and do that, it would be an absolute disaster. But you know, in life, quite often, it's easier to destroy than to build, isn't it? Most of us can destroy things, and we can destroy things probably quite well. And we find that this can happen in all kinds of things, in relationships, in churches. If we're not careful, we don't become builders, but we become destructors. Building takes effort, it takes skill, and it takes time. The Apostle Paul will say to the church time and time again, be built up. You are the body of Christ. Be built up in who Jesus is. Be built up, be united with Christ, with one another. Do you know unity in a church doesn't come easily? Unity isn't the default method of being human beings. Human beings tend to go outwards, not together. And actually what this passage is all about is Paul saying, actually come together around Christ. But unity is a theme that goes right back through the Old Testament. Here's just two verses going back into the Old Testament. First of all, from the prophet Malachi, Do we not all have one Father? Has not God created us? That sense of unity with God as Father. And Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for us to live together in unity. But what is unity? It's one of those words we can sort of brandish around, but what do we actually mean? Well, John Piper, I think, puts it quite well here. He says, unity among two or more people gets its virtue entirely from something else. Unity itself is neutral until it gives goodness or badness by something else. So what he's saying is you can be united around all kinds of things. So you could be united around a good thing. You have groups of people who enjoy the same type of music. you say you're united around it. You could be united around things that could be either good or bad, like a political leader or a political idea. People unite around those. But people can also be united in things that are really destructive. People may unite in drug abuse. The unity is there, but the thing that they're uniting around is damaging and harmful. But unity is totally dependent on the value of what holds a group of people together. That is what we're on about in this passage. And so what Paul will talk about here is about Christian unity. What does it mean to be united as the church? And what we will find in this passage is it's not about the lowest common denominator. You know, you find a bunch of people, and if anybody vaguely has some kind of idea of God, you then say, actually, we'll unite together. It's nothing to do with that. But what this is, is a call for the church to unite around the person, the gospel, and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep him central. Why is unity so essential? Why is it so key? Well, because it fits into this narrative that we are the body of Christ. You know, if a body starts to become disunited, if you start leaving bits of your body lying around all over the place, you won't last very long. The same is true of the church. If we're all fragmented, we won't do the job for which we have been called to do. A united church is a church with Jesus at the centre, where we can actually then live that outwardly. We can share love, we can share the gospel message, and we do it because in the middle is Christ. But Jesus says this, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. You know, sadly, many churches end up not being united, but they become divided, and they divide over all kinds of things. You can divide over bits of theology. You can divide over songs. You can divide over the color of walls if you want to. Anything that, as human beings, we can disagree on. If we can't learn to disagree well we can end up in division, and we can actually wreck the thing that God calls us to be. I have look at the history of the church. So the history of the church is not always one of unity. For the last thousand years, the church has been dividing. Here's a very nice, simple diagram to show the divisions of the church. Chris, I think that even beats your print for, for small on that other one you were showing us. But there you can see, can you see us? Baptists somewhere around there, where are we? I've lost us. There, there. Baptists. John Smythe was the first Baptist in whatever year that is, 1609. But that just shows how the church has collapsed into divisions. Do you know how many denominations there are today? Anyone want to have a guess? Go on. 300. Keep going up. Keep going up. So we're, we're at 9,000 at the moment. Any advance on now? <laughs> That's not like an auction. Keep going up. 12,000, times it by three, and you're almost there. 33,000 recognised Christian denominations. You know, we make it a fine art of being divided. We make it a fine art. And it can be very easy for churches to split. You know, I've seen churches split. I've watched churches fall apart. And they fall apart over sometimes the silliest of things. I've seen people, and I once remember this um, bloke who I knew, who... Went to practically every church in the area that he lived. Couldn't find any group of Christians he would unite with. And so he ended up worshipping on his own in his lounge, listening to the only preacher online that he could find that he agreed with. And he was isolated, and that was his church. That is not church. That is not Christian unity. If you can only be united with yourself, you're not living in unity with one another. I can only think that the Apostle Paul, as he looks at that diagram, would be weeping over the state of the church. I can only think that if he sees people who can't unite with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that he would be weeping at what we've done to the body of Christ. So what does Paul do? Well, he offers us a different vision, a different purpose for living, unity around the person of Jesus Christ. What does this mean practically? Well, it means doing exactly what we're doing today. Finding a bunch of people, you know, just look around. This is our church family. Just look around at one another. It's not that scary. Well, it might be. Depends who you sat next to But have a look around. This is the church family. This is who we are called to be united with. Called to walk forward in seeking out who Jesus is as revealed by the Bible. It's getting to know him as the Son of God. Going through the rough and the smooth together. Being able to talk honestly about our doubts and our questions, our fears, our excitements, all those kinds of things. Because our unity is rooted in Jesus. But before we get to what Paul actually says about what we unite around, he talks about character, of the type of people who can be united. You know, character is immensely important, isn't it? Character is immensely important. Look at verse 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How does your character measure up to that? How does my character measure up to that? Are we completely humble and gentle with one another? Are we able to listen to one another's voices? Are we able to form real relationships because that's actually what we are like? Or are we there with barriers up in front of us, not letting people in? Are we there with this kind of aggressive persona that doesn't allow people to speak into our lives? Unity is not the same as uniformity as we will find out in this passage. Actually, uniformity would mean that we didn't need any of this stuff. But unity is about Christ being central, but then that we can actually be humble and gracious with one another. But Paul will tell us, actually, don't fall out about some things, because it's not even worth talking about them. I I haven't got this one on the screen, but Titus 3, verse 9, he says, avoid foolish controversies. Have you ever got into a foolish, controversial argument with another Christian? Anybody want to admit to that? I'm putting my hand up. Why did we do it? Do you ever wonder why you do those things? Getting to those foolish, controversial things about genealogies, Paul talks about arguments and quarrels about the law, because he says these things are unprofitable and useless. Years ago, me and Claire were part of a small group, and this small group, we were, it was a good bunch of people, But actually, quite often, what we would do is we always used to say degenerated into a kind of theological debating society. And so rather than growing in Christ, rather than praying for one another, rather than being united in purpose, we would discuss things like predestination, as if we were going to solve that in that group. We would spend hours discussing that. We would spend hours discussing things like, could a Christian be righteously angry? Was that possible as a sinner to do that? Was just war something that could happen, as if we were going to start wars and these kind of things. And it was all theoretical. And actually, I came to the conclusion that we had sacrificed growing in God for actually pointless discussion with one another. It can be so easy to do it. And so what we do in this passage is we see the heart of Christian unity. Look at verses 4 to 6. In a condensed sort of creedal belief statement, Paul will give us a series of seven ones. Things that are essential for Christian unity, the benchmarkers of what the church is about. These things that become the non-negotiable statements of Christian belief. Now, these seven one sayings, they may have been things that the Ephesian church would actually have read out together and say, this is what we believe, this is what we gather around. But let's have a look at them. There is one body. Unity in one church. All the true believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Calvin, the great reformer, would talk about the invisible church. The church that is across the world. All those true believers united in faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as humans, we naturally, if we're not careful, fall into just wanting to be with people who are like me. I don't know if you ever find that. You want to be with people, and you want to worship with people who like singing the same songs, who like looking roughly the same, all these kind of things. I was in um, Romania two weeks ago. And two weeks ago today, we were worshipping in a Pentecostal house church that was in a really small cottage. And there were 12 of us um, in this room. I couldn't understand anything that was being said apart from when it was one of us who'd gone actually sharing. (coughs) But I knew that I was with brothers and sisters in Christ. We didn't didn't sound the same. We weren't singing the same songs. But we just knew there was unity. Unity because they were worshipping Jesus as revealed through the scriptures. There was unity. So one body, one spirit, there is one Holy Spirit who indwells, who empowers and transforms. All Christians, the Bible tells us, who say Jesus is Lord, who submit to the Lordship of Christ, are sealed by the Holy Spirit. There is one spirit. There is one hope. There is one hope for the nations, and it is Jesus, the Son of God. There are not multiple hopes, there are not multiple things that are good, but there is Jesus, the Son of God who died for our sin, rose again in glory and is returning. There is one Lord. One of the key statements of the early church was that Jesus is Lord. Not that Caesar down the road in his big palace is Lord. Not that anybody else who happened to think they were powerful is Lord. But Jesus is the one who has ascended higher in the highest heavens. Jesus will say in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This call to unite around the one Lord, who is Jesus. One faith, unity in belief, submission to the word of God, believing in what Jesus has done for us. You know, I don't think Jesus ever had it in mind to have 33,000 denominations. I don't think that was ever on God's heart. There have been times when it's been necessary to disagree with one another. We'll come to that in a minute. But God's heart is unity around the person of Christ. One baptism. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If you're here today and you are following Jesus, but you've yet to be baptised, can I urge you to think about being baptised? Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Chris. We would love to chat that through with you. And then this great statement at the end, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One God, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship God through the power of the Spirit. We worship Christ, the Son of God. That is what unites us. This is what unity is about. So let's ask some questions. Are we united as a church? Is Jesus really central to everything we are and everything that we do? Well, as I read those seven one statements that Paul puts down here, I don't get anybody coming to me saying, I'm, I'm not really sure about whether we should unite around those. So, in one sense, yeah, we probably are united. Are we united with other churches? Are we united with working with other Christians? Well, we're part of churches together. We work well with other Christians. We work well across the world with other Christians. But can I ask us another question? And this really links in with what Chris was saying. Are we united with the mission of Christ? Not with just signing off at what we believe, but actually putting it into practice. Is Christ the purpose for why we live? Are we committed to really living out and sharing Jesus? Let's make this personal. Are you united with other Christians that you know. If I'm in a dislocated relationship with a fellow Christian in the church, that causes division within the church itself. And Paul, later on in this passage, will say in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Are there other Christians that you need to forgive, that you need to be reconciled with? It's a tough call, it's not always easy to forgive, is it? Forgiveness can sometimes be that kind of long process. But are we actually in that place of seeking unity in the bonds of peace with one another? But what are the limits to unity? You know, I've said unity isn't just the lowest common denominator, it's, uni- it's unity around the person of Jesus Christ. I once remember a lecturer at college saying, As a minister, there'll be times when you have to answer the question, who will you not work alongside? Which churches, which groups of people will you never work alongside? And it's a tough call. It's a really, really tough question. Um, A number of years ago, I remember um, I had a knock on my office door, and there was a man stood there. It wasn't anybody I knew. And he said, I want you to baptize me. So I think, brilliant, fantastic, you know, revival's breaking out. Let's, (laughs) Let's have a party. Um, anyway, getting talking to this man, I discovered that this man had recently left one of those groups that advertises in shopping centres, you, you'll know who I mean, and he had come out of that particular group, and he said he'd become a Christian, and so I'm thinking, really, yeah, this is great, really positive, and so I said, well, you start coming to church, Let, let's get you plugged into the church here, I'll meet with you a few times, let's just see where your faith is up to, and then we'll, we'll talk about baptism. Anyway, as I got chatting to him, he hadn't accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour. In fact, he didn't accept Jesus at all. He didn't think Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't think... Well, actually, his belief in God was nothing like anything I could remotely find in the Bible. It was just a very, very sort of general, vague belief that he had. When I said to him, actually, I won't be able to baptise you, because actually you haven't become a Christian in the way that under the authority of Scripture I see a Christian is... He got quite abusive. And he started to send me quite threatening emails after that. And it got to the point where I just said, I'm going to just have to cut contact with you altogether. Could I be united in Christian fellowship with that man? Absolutely not. He was in no way that kind of person who was demonstrating any of the things that we saw in this passage. And he was actually being abusive to me in a way that I don't think any of us as human beings should be able to have to go through. But well, you know, for the odd occasion that that has happened, and there have been a number of occasions when that has happened, there have been countless times when actually disunity has sort of crept in, not through those kind of issues, but through me actually not living out verse 2, through me not being humble and compassionate and gracious. And there have been loads of times when I have spoken to somebody and thought, actually, I don't agree with you on a particular issue. But actually, when we've come down to it, We actually both agreed on verses 4 to 6. We both agreed that Jesus was exactly who he says he is. Not everything is the main thing. Not everything is the main thing. The colour of the chairs in church is not the main thing. Whether we agree with a particular nuance of theology or a particular biblical interpretation is not necessarily the main thing. The main thing is that we agree on who Christ is. And we submit ourselves to the word of God and we grapple with it together. Unity is limited to Christ and in Christ and through Christ. And with this in mind, Paul moves on to say, I want you to grow. I want you to grow as Christians. And he says, to become mature, he says, Christ has provided the church with apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers. These foundational gifts on which the early church was built to teach and encourage and care for people. Until it says in verse 13... We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature. Paul makes a presumption there, doesn't he? Unity is achievable. It's not a pipe dream. It's not something we should just think oh, oughtn't to be nice if we're united. But it's actually, if we are in Christ, if Christ is at the centre, if Christ is the Christ who is revealed by the Scriptures, we can be united together. We should be united together. We have no excuse for not being united together. If a baby is sat in a high chair and he's gooing and garring at me, and I go up to that baby and say, come on, spit your words out, man. Don't speak to me like that. It's an absolute nonsense, isn't it? Because that baby is a baby. It's young. It's immature. It doesn't know yet. It hasn't learned yet how to speak. If you say to an adult who is able to speak and communicate, who's behaving like a baby, it's a very different issue. I don't often quote Jermaine Greer in sermons, but I did like this quote. You're only young once, but you can be immature forever. We can only be a young Christian once, you know, when we start to follow Jesus, we'll be a young Christian, but that should only happen once. We know sadly, too often we remain immature as Christians, and immaturity is fertile soil for disunity. When we don't grow in Christ, when we spend our time on meaningless stuff, when we're not rooted in the Scriptures and rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we can remain immature. And we're not able to live out, verse 2. We're not able to be humble and compassionate. Verse 14, the aim of our unity and rooting in Christ is that we remain secure in him. You know, since the, the dawn of the internet, new ideas come very quickly, don't they? And I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again, but not everything you read on the internet is true. It doesn't really come as a surprise. And we can get bombarded by all kinds of teaching that can come from all kinds of different directions. And if we're not mature in Christ, we can get buffeted around and it can cause us problems. Paul says, grow up as Christians. Root ourselves in God's word. Learn together, be together, be united together, pray together, worship together. And instead, instead of all this divisive stuff, speak the truth in love. And we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Just to say on that verse, I think of all the verses in Ephesians, that is probably the most misquoted verse. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of somebody who's said the most horrendously critical or divisive thing to you. And then said, but I need to say this to you in love as if this verse somehow means that you just put in love at the end of it and you can get away with saying what you want. That, to me, totally undermines the first part of this passage. And this is absolutely nothing to do with what Paul is on about here. This is not even about rebuking other Christians or about trying to put them straight. This is about speaking gospel truth into people's lives so that we grow and become mature. Are we speaking those kind of truths in love to one another? Speaking the hope, the joy, the the, the goodness of God over one another. If we do, then Paul says that we'll become a church that grows, that is built up in love, as each part does its work. So as we think as a church family, as we're thinking about moving forward, as our vision becomes hopefully no longer vision, but reality, are we united in Christ? It's a very simple question. Are we united in Christ? You see, we could do all this amazing stuff. We could do all the stuff that's in these reports. We could have the most fantastic facilities. And yet, if we don't remain united in Christ and in his gospel, actually, we just become weakened and fractured. On a personal level, are you in disunity with anybody who is in the church family here? Or somebody from another church? Is there any disunity that actually God is calling you at this stage that needs to be put right. There is a challenge here, there's an encouragement, but there's this deep challenge. For the sake of Christ and the unity of the church, can I encourage us to do exactly what Paul says? Let's not be another 33,000 plus one at the end of it because actually we divide over other things. But let's stay united as a church around Jesus who is the Son of God. Let's be built up in love with one another and live out that purpose to which we have been called to preach the gospel, to share the love of Christ, and to see more people come to know him. I want us to read this verse together. This is the most incredible verse. It's one of those verses that is actually probably worth just printing out and sticking on your wall and reading it regularly, because in these few words, we get a summary of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be united. So I'm going to read it. I'll read it slowly, and then can we stand... And we'll read it together. And then after that, um, the worship team are going to come up and we're going to actually sing the creed together. So just to state, this is our faith. This is what we're united around. This is the Jesus who we are called to serve. So can I invite you to stand? And I will just read this and then we'll read it together. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. Let's read it together. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all.